Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Buddhist Centre online podcast. Uh, we've been a wee bit erratic for a while, uh, mainly because we've so much to do. And we've also been recording our other podcast, Buddhist Voices, which you can download via iTunes, uh, via, gosh, Stitcher, Overcast, any other application you like, Google Play. Just do a search for the Buddhist Centre, for Buddhist Voices, so you'll find us. And I'm doing a first today, which is a little interview over Skype. Believe it or not, we've never done one over Skype. So, Manisha, welcome. You're our first internet-only guest. I feel deeply honoured. Isn't that amazing that we actually record everything live with people in real life? It's incredible. For an international Buddhist movement. Well, for an international Buddhist movement and their website. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we do all our interviews old school style in real life. So, anyway, welcome. This is, uh, this is an interview with Manisha. She's an old friend of mine, and uh, we're here today to talk about Manisha's work specifically, which is in the area of safeguarding. Manisha is Truratna's safeguarding officer. Hello. Hello, and where are you? I'm on the sofa in my flat in Stockholm in Sweden, where I live. In Sweden. I've been yeah. on that, that flat. It's really nice. Stockholm's really nice. You've been on the sofa as well. I've been on the sofa, it's true. Maybe we should have a podcast called Manisha from Stockholm Live or something. You could interview people down by the waterfront. Yes, that's true. We might be a bit short of Buddhist news, although there are a lot of Buddhist groups in Stockholm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, English-speaking Buddhists in Stockholm too. So anyway, here we are. I'm in the United States. It's uh, quarter to two in the afternoon. You're in Sweden. It's quarter to eight in yep. the evening, I think. Yes. Right. Uh, so I won't keep you too long, but anyway, thanks for joining us. Let's talk a little bit about your work. So safeguarding officer, what is a safeguarding officer? Why does Truratna need one? Well, I think first we have to explain the word safeguarding. I mean, safeguarding is a, is a British-English term which is used commonly in Britain in all areas of public life to refer to all public institutions' responsibility to be seen, to be taking measures to protect children from abuse of any kind and also adults who may be deemed to be vulnerable in any way, for example, if they have addictions or mental health issues, or perhaps they're perfectly competent normally, but in certain situations they may become vulnerable. So I am the safeguarding officer who is financially supported by the chairs of all True Ratner Centres in Europe. And uh, I do things like supplying them with model policies that they can use to draw up their own policies for you know safe conduct of their activities in respect to children and adults and help them with various tricky questions they run into in the ordinary course of their lives, you know, spreading the Dharma to anyone who wants it and meditation. Mm. Now, we'll, we'll put a note in the show links about uh, the latest version of your model policies. I'm imagining mm. this is the kind of thing that you never think you're going to get involved with when you, you know, first end up working for a Buddhist community. <laughs> it's like suddenly, <laughs> suddenly you've got to think about this. So, what, I mean, what sort of things come your way? What's, what's the bulk of the work that you do? Well, I got into this originally because in my previous work, I uh, ran the education service for a Buddhist centre in England, and we had thousands of children coming through our doors. So as is normal in Britain, we had to have policies and we had to have all our teachers, our Buddhist teachers, security checked to make sure that all these children were quite safe with us. And then when I moved to work for Tree Ratna more generally, I realised that all centres needed these and they didn't have them. So the kinds of things that we look at routinely, actually, the most common thing, I think, is the integration of ex-prisoners into sanghas. So in Britain, this might fascinate people in other countries, Buddhist prison chaplaincy is now so good and so widespread that quite a lot of people come out of prison 
wanting to turn their lives around and are encouraged by their probation officers to continue where they left off and go to their nearest Buddhist centre. So these people may have been imprisoned for sexual offences, and if they have, they and their probation officer will need to negotiate with the Buddhist centre a contract which sets out the terms on which they can be safely integrated into the Sangha in a quite restricted way for their protection as well as the Sangha's. And that's probably the commonest thing we have to do actually now is, is mm. um, work with those services. And the other thing is just basically helping them draw up their policies. Or if they, for example, have a 15-year-old who's learned about Buddhism in school, which is also very common in Britain, and they want to come on retreat, and most of our retreats are not for 15-year-olds. So what provision do we need to have in place for mm. that single teenager to come safely on the retreat with lots of adults? That's very normal kind of stuff, really. And I suppose we're just a really big community now, aren't we, internationally, and people yeah. come along to the centre with all sorts of backstories and all sorts of things that they're bringing with them, and people who run Buddhist centres need someone to refer to if there's an issue comes up. Yeah. In Britain, where this stuff is pretty much mandatory, each centre now has its own order member who is a safeguarding officer for that centre. It's probably a voluntary post, it might not be a team post, but they'll be the named contact for anyone with concerns. And those people liaise with me as the overall safeguarding officer to check what they're doing. And all of us can get guidance from external safeguarding agencies. For example, in Britain there's the Church's Child Protection Advisory Service, yeah. which Originally, as its name implies, was set up for Christians, but is open to all faiths and is very, very helpful. We can check lots of things with them. So we've only been doing this work since 2013, but we've made a lot of progress in a short time. Mm. And you've been doing it on a very much part-time basis, but I think now you're handing it on so somebody can give more hours to it, is that right? Yes, we've, we've just advertised a post for somebody. We want an order member with professional experience of safeguarding from a previous job, and uh, we have to appoint that person by the end of the month. Mm-hmm. who can really take it on because I started out basically just writing some policies and then the job just got bigger and bigger so yeah. we need to hand it on one of the particular challenges of this of course is that this concept of safeguarding is actually very British and I work for all the centres in Europe and of course there's true Ratner all over the rest of the world and there are similar provisions in some other countries but there are also huge variations yeah. in cultural awareness of this kind of thing because most of Tri Ratna, more than half the order, lives in Britain and runs Buddhist centres in Britain. We've had to put all these provisions in place according to British best practice. And actually, there are some countries in Europe where it's practically unknown, mm-hmm. this kind of provision. Now, interestingly, where there have been problems in a country where these kinds of things are unknown, they've been absolutely thrilled to get their hands on the model documents, translate them, and sometimes have to also alter them in line with local law, which is not the same as in Britain. But there are some countries where the whole thing is really quite foreign so far. Presumably quite good. But, the, the benchmark is one of the most strict sets of criteria. Yeah, it is pretty strict. It's very well worked out. It's always developing. I think that's a very interesting thing in the area of ethics or safeguarding. These documents are never fixed documents. They evolve with you know, annual new versions every year in the light of new issues encountered and new deeper understandings, mm. um, which is, I think it's very, very good. Mm. It's very interesting. It's actually very helpful. I'm, I'm the chair of a local Buddhist centre here, and one of the big projects in this region of the northeastern United States is the prison visiting service. Mm. On quite different terms from Angulimala or some of the services people might know, the chaplaincy services you mentioned, but with also with some similarities. And we regularly get long-term prisoners coming back into some sort of relationship with the Sangha when they emerge. And so having a reference point like this is, is really invaluable. Mm. Angulimala, we probably should say, is the name of the British prison chaplaincy 
So are you going to use the documents that, that I've drawn up for British use in, think, in your centre in America? Well, they're looking at them as a kind of guide to the sorts of areas that they yeah. need to take account of with US yeah. law yeah. and state law. Actually, they've got a lot of these things covered already because they've spent years mm. looking at them, but it's very mm. helpful that it is, as you say, this ongoing developing conversation about how do you best look after people yes. about essentials. Yeah. 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 There's an aspect of care to it, isn't there? Well, that's what really impressed me when I first started working in this area. That I mean, I took our model documents from looking at other people's model documents, you know, from the agency I mentioned earlier. And I was really impressed that the emphasis was not on how do we keep these people out, but how do we include them mm. on certain careful terms. It was very much about inclusion. You know, so in line with Buddhist values, no one is ever a lost cause. Hmm. And it seemed very, very compassionate. At the same time as balancing it with, unfortunately, it's very well known that in all religious groups, people make huge mess-ups in this area because they're all terribly nice and they want to love everybody and give everyone a chance. So you actually have to be very clear-headed at the same time. as, um, And it's perfectly acceptable for a centre to, to decide actually doesn't have the resources to manage the relationship with someone like this. And you don't have to take it on. But they do need to be clear about that. That's the interesting Yeah, they need, they need to be able to be clear about why. Yeah. So they're not just discriminating. Yeah, I mean, presumably this could be quite a, not exactly stressful, but challenging piece of work for you. Like, yeah, yeah. Re, you know, receiving all these kind of consultations from around the world, people coming to you with X person who's turned up at their Buddhist centre and there's an issue. And I yeah. mean, do you get plenty of support? Is it something you feel you can well met? I think it will be good when we have the new safeguarding officer because to some extent I think I'll work as a backup and they'll have more of a team on it because it is quite stressful. But also part of the improved provision we're making for the future is that the safeguarding officer will work with an ethics cooler or an ethics group, you could say, mm. um, composed of more senior Buddhists from the College of Preceptors that runs Sri Ratna worldwide, and order conveners. These are terms that might not mean something to everybody, but they're very senior Buddhists, which means that this safeguarding work at the level of the centres will, will be joined up to more general order ethical work. Mm. And that fula also includes, we hope, one or two other order members with professional experience of safeguarding from their work in social services, for example, or the, or the probation service, so that it's much more joined up and effective. Yeah, the sort of interface between the work and a broader view of ethical life and training, so that the College mm. of Public Preceptors have an overall responsibility for the training of people who want to enter our order. Yeah. And there's a clear line between that and the kind of everyday work that you're doing, trying to, I suppose, introduce this aspect of care to how we provide training at Buddhist centres. Yeah, because safeguarding particularly deals with the sort of legal end of things, you know, whereas ethics is actually much more general than that. You know, so we have to take care of both. Mm. So I'm wondering about another context for your work, which might be relevant. Chiratna has, over the years, had waves of controversy come up and then subside around stories from the past, particularly painful stories around the general culture in Chiratna, around allegations of sexual misconduct. It's very interesting to watch these conversations come up again as a wave in our new online world, where, of course, everything moves so fast. I'm wondering if that's had any impact on your work at all. Well, it has, yes, because as the safeguarding officer in Britain, anyway, I am obliged to pass on to the police any allegations of potentially criminal behaviour. I am not allowed to investigate, but I am obliged to pass on to the police any information in case they wish to investigate, and, of course, it's up to them what they do with it. Hmm. So, you know, that's not a very pleasant task. 
but you know, I make sure that whatever we do, we, we comply with safeguarding best practice and with the law, of course. Yeah. And I suppose I mean that must be quite a that must be a relatively lonely bit of your job because I think there's all sorts of <laughs> confidentiality things around that. Aren't there? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm not supposed to tell anybody if I have reported. Mm. Yeah, only people only on a need to know basis. It's it's confidential because obviously everyone is legally innocent until proven guilty, and obviously to divulge such information could put the alleged victims in danger. And are there other challenges for you just in terms of the internet? Like I've, I've really noticed just the, the amazing effect of how fast information moves and, and misinformation moves. Yes, that's and, quite uh, yeah. Just coming into relationship with it all is quite challenging on any level, but when you've got that particular responsibility for safeguarding. It's quite a Buddhist practice, actually. I have to practice patient endurance quite a lot of the time, because obviously this is a very emotive area, and people get onto Facebook with their fears, particularly when you consider actually just how many adults, what a percentage of, of the adult population probably across the world has experienced some kind of abuse. It's a very sensitive area and people feel very strongly about it and I just mm. have to um, proceed in a measured way and just adhere to the safeguarding best practice guidelines. Mm. And do you feel you get enough support in that generally? Enough clarity of what I think it's it's something that's developing. I'm always phoning up the advice you know, helpline, just checking what I'm doing to make sure it's in line with best practice. I've got quite a strong compassion practice, I think, out of it. I feel a lot of compassion for people who are hurt and angry, mm. people who feel they've been wrongly accused. You know, both sides of any allegation is very, very sad. So it's, it's quite practice. Mm. The archetypal Buddha figure I meditate on regularly is a Mogasiddhi, who is a symbol of great fearlessness, fearless wisdom. And it's a great resource in my work. The great green Buddha of the north. Exactly. Well, he actually lives in Sweden, as you can imagine. <laughs> of course. I haven't yeah. thought that before. A Mogasiddhi from, yeah, from, from Scandinavia. Well, it's him and Father Christmas, actually. They both live somewhere near the Arctic Circle. <laughs> and that well it's interesting to hear you talk about that that kind of support because on the one hand you've got all those external supports and you've got your yeah. you've got your personal friendships but that side of kind of shoring up your own practice of patience yeah. your practice of i suppose attending to things your practice of compassion really needing to be sourced at quite a deep yeah. level yes and apart from that i've got great friends and good work team and um, spend a lot of time talking to my friends and work team online and I feel very supported. Mm. So what next for safeguarding? What are, the, what are the challenges for the next phase as you move into a more team context? And... Well, I think the next emphasis will be that obviously we'll develop this ethics cooler and we need to keep working on our documents because they need to be annually updated and uh, they need a bit more work doing to them to respond to new needs. And we'll particularly be looking at the area of supporting vulnerable adults protection because a lot of the allegations from the past to do with people not being happy with sexual relationships they had as less experienced Buddhists with more experienced Buddhists would now be seen as falling underneath the umbrella of vulnerable adults. Mm. We need to develop our training and awareness around that. Yeah. You know, I think people are very well up for that. The chairs of our centres are very happy to hear about that and to be helped. It's great that it's there as a resource because the law changes yeah. as well, doesn't it? And it yeah. And, yeah. Um, mm. I suppose there's also going to be a need for a kind of more international resource yeah. of all this translation and... Yes. Yes. What's funny is, I mean, we've just translated them to Swedish for our Sangha here in Sweden, and uh, some of the terms just don't exist in Swedish. Mm. We've actually had to roughly translate them and put the English in brackets. <laughs> um, and it's the same in French, I'm told. The, the term child protection just means something else completely different in, in French. Mm. So um, that's the job, really, internationalising the whole thing. Does the concept of vulnerable adults exist everywhere? I don't know. I absolutely don't know. 
It doesn't take long before people understand it when you explain it to them. Well, the concept of a vulnerable adult is, again, a very British terminology. It's shifted from having been a term to apply to somebody with a fairly sort of fixed and recognisable condition like mental illness or drug addiction. And now it's shorthand, really, for somebody who may become vulnerable in certain conditions. You know, so you know, people going on retreat for the first time may be quite vulnerable because meditation opens them up and puts them in touch with painful feelings of experiences from the past. Somebody going on retreat for the first time as... This is an interesting example. Going on retreat for the first time as a trans woman. So having previously gone on retreat as a man, they're now going on a mixed retreat as a woman, which means they're going to be sharing different dormitories and washrooms. And how to handle that transition in a sensitive way, not just with care of that person in mind, but also for the sensitivities and dignity of all the other people in retreat. That would be a vulnerable adult's case now, and we have had that already. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Kind of, it is. We're all the, learning all the time. And the world is changing, and... Buddhists have to change with it. I suppose that's yeah. that's one of the potential strengths of Chiratna is its hopefully ongoing willingness to take on that sort of context and, and indeed yeah. to recognise its own failings in the past. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for doing Onwards and upwards. all the pioneering work. It's really, I mean, I know you and I know that it's an extension of your practice to do this work. It's quite inspiring to watch you quite calmly sail on. <laughs> through, stormy, <laughs> through stormy seas sometimes. Yes, it's not always calm. No, but, um, not always calm. No one sees that bit. <laughs> <laughs> I see that bit occasionally. <laughs> and thanks for your time uh, for tuning in in the evening from uh, Sweden. You're welcome. And uh, Happy yeah, to share the work. Look forward to seeing you when we're next met in the summer. Looking forward to it very much. Okay, well, thanks, Munisha. Bye-bye.